welcome to the Farming on Purpose podcast. Today's challenges in agriculture are new, but the grit and determination required to be successful have been handed down for generations. On the Farming on Purpose podcast, we preserve the ag heritage and traditions we built our identity on while pursuing the American dream of multi-generation farms that innovate for the future. Listen along as we share stories of how farmers and ranchers are building legacies, both in their business and their character, for the sake of those they'll pass the reins to. I'm your host, Lexi Wright, and I'm excited to talk with you about the financial, generational, and production challenges facing producers in the ag industry today. This podcast is brought to you by Back Pocket Social Marketing. And yes, this is Lexi here. This podcast has been a real passion project for me. All the time that goes into interviewing guests, editing, and producing the show is sponsored by my freelance marketing agency. We specialize in website design, social media advertising, content creation and management, and email marketing. If you like to take a foundational approach to your marketing and figure out exactly what's working for you and what's not, and really focus on efficiency, then you would be a great candidate to work with us. You can reach out and talk with us more at Lexi at BackPocketSocial.com. We would love to help you solve your marketing challenges. Welcome back to Farming on Purpose. I am so excited today to have Megan with me. Megan is a personal trainer, nutrition coach, and advocate for Western lifestyle and agriculture. Megan started a campaign on social media called Ag Let's Talk, hashtag Ag Let's Talk, to help break the stigma and raise awareness for mental health struggles in the ag community. And that's kind of how we came together to talk today. Um, We want to talk a little bit more about mental health and agriculture and what that means, what it looks like, what the future of it looks like. So um, if you want to tell us just a little bit more about how you got involved in agriculture, what your ag background is, I think that's a great way to kind of connect everybody and let everybody know who you are and then share a little more about where you're at, what you're doing. Sure. So I do not have an ag background per se, but I did grow up in Salinas, California, which is the salad bowl capital of the world. Most likely, if you look at your salad mix or your package, you're going to see that it's from my hometown. So I thought I didn't know that I lived in the country. (laughs) I thought it was normal to drive through Lettuceville to get to the grocery store. I always thought people who lived out in the fields were country. So I didn't even realize how much I had been a part of my life. Uh, Friends were involved in I. The Salinas Rodeo is like the biggest event we have every year in my hometown. So as my platform got bigger with Western Lifestyle, I really wanted to use this extra exposure I had in order for to be of service. And one thing I started noticing was in the ag community, there wasn't enough people talking about mental health. And this is such a disservice to our ag community because we need to be talking more about mental health. We need to be breaking the stigma. And I was like, you know what? There's this whole thing up in Canada, I don't know if you're familiar with it, called Bell Let's Talk, where every day once a year people do hashtag and they talk about the importance of mental health. And it's primarily a Canadian thing, but you see all the hockey players and people getting involved. And I thought, wouldn't that be amazing if we had something like that for our ag community? Because there is that stigma. People might be living in such a rural community and might not have family support or friend support. So what if I started a meet, uh, campaign and movement on social media where people just talk about it more? So maybe we can reach a couple people that don't feel supported in their journey. <laughs> Sorry, that is my cat trying to break down the door to come in. 
Okay. Um, so I'm convinced it's not a cat. I'm convinced it's actually a child that was put into a cat's body. So he's kind of rebelling. But anyway, so that's where I wanted to go with this movement was let's just start a dialogue. Let's get people talking. Let's make it so someone doesn't feel like they're alone. Yeah. Well, I think that's a very valuable mission. Um Tell us a little bit more about what growing your platform has looked like and how you got involved in Western lifestyle. So that kind of was a roundabout journey here. So in 2020, when we were all kind of sitting home, I had friends that I had made through the rodeo community that had Western boutiques. What a lot of people don't realize is Western boutiques, a lot of these Western companies are actually a side business to support someone's ranch or someone's ability to do rodeo. These are really a funnel to help them because right now ranching and farming, you it can't be a full-time income for most families, unfortunately. Unfortunately for a lot of people, they're running the ranch while they're working a nine to five or they're doing a boutique. So in 2020, when the rodeos were non-existent, I saw so many of my friends that had ranches and farms and they're just like, how our, our merchandise isn't moving. So. I was like, okay, well, let me try my hand at being an influencer, but it really came less for me wanting to be cool and get thousands of followers to me really being of service of how can I help promote these other brands? How can I help these boutiques? How can I help people until we can get our rodeos and our Western events up? So that's when I first started getting into it. And I didn't quite know where I wanted to go with it because I don't fit in as a normal Western uh, influencer. I'm not a rodeo queen. I don't have a rodeo background. I don't even really like the you know, I'm not up to date in all fashion. I'm not a traditional fashion. I like Patsy Klein. I like vintage. That's where my name comes from. It's, it's a spinoff of Mae West for Mae West. So I wanted to blend all Hollywood with Western lifestyle. And I wanted to be accessible to people outside the community because too many people are recruiting inside the community. You don't recruit to people that are already on your team. And that's something I noticed with Western lifestyle. If people were trying to kind of one up each other and prove how cowgirl or how punchy they are. And it's like, why are we trying to reach people who are already advocating for this lifestyle? We need the other people. Like I always like to say when it comes to agriculture, the 2% cannot fight alone. Our producers cannot fight alone. We need the other 98%. So yeah, I live in Las Vegas. I'm a little bit of a city slicker. I have roots in the country, but I was like, how can I kind of blend more of the urban, more of the city and show like, yeah, guess what? I'm an advocate. I live in Sin City, but I'm still going to fight for our ranchers and our farmers. So that's kind of where my platform started. And then when I was coming back from a trip from Tonopah, I actually was in a very scary car accident and I was very blessed to walk away from it. And I said, you know, if God gave me the second chance, how, um, how, why? Like, what can I do with my life? And I kind of had to sit down and take some time and pray and meditate and try to figure out. I said, you know what? I want to do more with my platform. And that's when I was like, I'm really going to step up and be an advocate for ranching and rodeo. So it might be kind of buckle bunny humor. I might not be the punchiest cowgirl. I don't think I'm much of a cowgirl, but I really, that's how my platforms developed over the last two, three years. And I think it's pretty similar for a lot of people that step into what I consider more of an advocate role as opposed to an influencer role, is figuring out where they fit in the Western lifestyle and how to better advocate for this community and reach reach the people we need to reach, reach those 98%, reach the people that are reading the PETA propaganda and signing those petitions that we have in California. We need to reach them. So 
it might be silly rodeo humor videos, but guess what? That's reaching the people that might not normally follow traditional advocates. That's really interesting that you talk about the difference between advocates and influencers because it is so different. But I think um, people maybe who aren't involved in marketing or social media don't understand the differences there. But the goals and the type of content is so strategically different when you look at those two things. It really is. And it's finding your voice in it. And for me, I'm not, I want to work, stay working with small brands. So I don't, I don't have some goal to go and sign with these big name companies that you have on Western Lifestyle. My goal from the beginning has always been, how can I help your ranch? How can I help your small boutique? How can I help your small leather workshop that's supporting your kids being able to do barrel racing because lord knows that's expensive. <laughs> very expensive how can i help you and utilize my platform and that's kind of where i've always come from and i'm not knocking western influencers at all i'm not trying to knock anyone that's an influencer my thing is though i want to advocate for this way of life and influencers still in a sense do because that person that buys cowboy boots it's still supporting your lifestyle that person that's going to their first rodeo they might not know a dang thing going on but they're still you know butts and seats is what pays the bill but there is kind of a difference and i think for someone stepping into an advocator role i wanted i wanted to be transparent i don't want people to be like oh she's pretending to be a barrel racer or this that like i just i show up as i am and either you like me or you don't but at least you like me for who i actually am not trying to be someone fake because this this whole lifestyle is very big on authenticity mm -hmm. yeah i think that authenticity is key um i feel like a lot of people in the western lifestyle will accept you as long as you're honest about who you are and you don't exactly yeah exactly and i have had nothing but support since coming to the lifestyle i've had rodeo athletes follow me that i respect a lot i've had cowgirl kate who i just have so much respect for with everything she's done with her horse rescue like having her you know calling her a social media friend having other advocates follow me that's let me know that i'm on the right track and you know i do get the negative comments like oh you're a buckle bunny because i'll make funny rodeo dating humor which is actually funny because it happens when I'm on a date in two years because Las Vegas is not the best place to meet cowboys. So you do occasionally get the negative comments. But at the end of the day, I look at what is my overall mission and who are the people that I respect and look up to. If they were to give me constructive feedback, I'd listen to it. But just some little troll person that with no picture, no name, no content, I really don't care what they say. You, you like me or not like me, I'm still going to advocate for this way of life for the next generation. Well, it's very... Uh, inspiring that you choose to do that um, and your story behind kind of like looking for your purpose and what you want to do. Um, it's really cool to me that you have chosen to do this as part of the community, even though you didn't necessarily grow up in it. These are your friends that you're like, okay, this is my circle. These are my people that I want to make sure have a good lifestyle and what can I do to support that? That's really amazing. Exactly. Um, and honestly, I... I had a cousin that would barrel race. So I grew up, you know, going and visiting her at her dad's house and we would ride horses together. But I grew up, I, I was a vegan for a part time. I was one of the people on the other side of this fence that thought that this way of life needs to be stopped. So I have been that person on the other side that got educated and was like, wow, a lot of this stuff is not true or this is not propaganda. So I think that does actually help me when it comes to building content because I know what the mindset is. I know what the myths are. I know the myth information from the other side of it. And when I want to say it was a couple of years ago, I actually went to my first rodeo and I was like, 
oh my God, I felt like I fit in. Like the moment I was there, I was like, I love this way of life. I wish I'd been born in it. I wish I'd done 4-H. I wish I'd done bow racing or breakaway roping and seeing all the advantages and the beauty of this way of life as someone that grew up hearing all the negative. It kind of gives me a different perspective and a new fight for it because I would love to be able to have rescue horses. I'm working my little butt off to get out of Vegas and get more to the country, but uh, it does let me see both sides of the argument. Yeah. Well, this is a little bit off track, but um, I'm interested to know since you shared that you were maybe like on the other side of the ad- advocacy um, piece at one point, what were some of the points that you learned and remember thinking like, oh, wow, that is so drastically different than what I thought, or maybe like, um, that really speaks to me. I care about that, that that is the way it is. Well, just a lot of the misinformation people have when it comes to ranching and farming in general, just the view that a lot of people have on the other side of the spectrum that farmers don't care about their, you know, their, their, funded by big farm, for lack of a better word, and that farmers are being paid, like some of the crazy stuff we're seeing now, like farmers are being paid by the government to like destroy their crops. I got a lot of farmers, they'd really like to know where that money's coming from because they lost hundreds of thousands of revenue in crops in California. I mean, I have some people that total complete loss of all of their produce, like they didn't have to destroy it. Mother nature destroyed it. Where's, where's this money that you conspiracy people are talking about? And just with ranchers, just the belief of misinformation on just milk, like the belief that milk has antibiotics and pus in it and blood in it. And there's just so much crazy misinformation out there. And then you get to meet actual farmers and, um, there's Megan, the dairy girl, I think that, or dairy farmer, I'm totally forgetting on her name here. It feels so bad, but she had a cow that passed away and she owns a dairy farm and she's very big on TikTok and social media. And she was devastated. I think the cow's name was Sparkle and just the impact of having one of her prized cows, which yes, it is a way that they make money. Yes, it is viewed as livestock, but they do get attached to this and you do get attached to it. And rodeo people care a hell of a lot about their animals. I mean, the rodeo myths are just like absolutely insane. Like once you get in the lifestyle and you see how people view the animals and the fact that they even have the horse and livestock so they like runs around the arena and people will clap just for the animals and stock contractors will cry when their horses are retired. And people think the way that they think they treat them is just, it's crazy that it's like, Instagram actuality versus, <laughs> you know, the whole like Instagram versus reality. And I, I, you see that a lot. And I don't think people realize that documentaries they're seen on Netflix are biased. You have to look who's funding them. You have to look who's doing the research. You have to realize there is an agenda. So unless you're reading something that's a peer reviewed study, there is an agenda. So anytime you're going and watching these documentaries, you cannot cite those as facts because they are so skewed and they are so biased. And so a lot of the documentaries that I watched that made me go vegan, that made me go plant-based, I realized after I became a personal trainer and I started studying nutritional sciences and I started talking to farmers and ranchers, I started seeing how biased they were. And I'm not saying don't be vegan if that, if that, if that resonates with you and you really do not want to morally or ethically or religious wise eat animals that is on you but don't just base your information based on a documentary because that's very one-sided yeah 
Very much so. <laughs> and I, I mean, kudos to the people who make them. They do a great job of getting their point to strike home. But they are and they're very, very passionate. And, you know, I, I commend anyone that's going to be passionate and going to fight. You know, I'm I'm an advocate for what I believe in. And if you don't believe in what I do, go out there and be just as passionate. But my biggest thing, and you'll see the flaw of my stuff, is educate with facts, not fear. We cannot do fear-based education. That's not, we're not children. We don't need to, we just, we need to be educated so everyone can make their own informed decision. Yeah. Yeah. Fear-based marketing is like a whole, whole other topic we can dive into, but it is. And it does such a disservice, especially to people in the fitness and nutrition. Like as a personal trainer, I see so many people that are like, oh, I'm scared to eat meat because I heard this or I heard that. And then, you know, we have all these just crazy nutrition myths out there. And unfortunately, we have a lot of people who are fitness influencers that have no certification, no background, no knowledge in this stuff. And they're using fear mongering as clickbait in order to promote stuff. So then it makes it even harder for our farmers and our ranchers that are trying to provide actual facts that care about their farms, because then they just get all these trolls that come at them. And I feel like in a way, kind of like, and around about taking it back to I let's talk. Our farmers and our ranchers who were out there, they didn't get any time off during the pandemic. They didn't know it was going to happen during the whole pandemic. They're out there every single day busting their butts trying to provide food for all of us. And then they go on social media and they're getting all this horrible stuff at them. So I feel like that's made the stress level even worse mm-hmm. for our producers. Yeah, I definitely think the way that people view how how farmers and ranchers go about their business is a huge contributor um, to a lot of folks, especially if they spend much time on social media of the, that feeling of kind of hopelessness of nobody will ever understand yeah. what we're doing here. What are some of those other contributing factors that you think affect the mental health crisis in ag? So a lot of them are just farming first and foremost. We need to realize that any field in ag, whether it's a farmer or rancher, you are in one of the, in several different polls, um, have listed as one of the top 10 most stressful jobs because there are no job job securities. And that's something that really surprised me. Like during 2020, I had a friend who was a farmer and her family is in ag. She's like a fourth or fifth generation. And I was like, my job's been taken away. Yours is totally fine. She's like, May, it's not. She's like, we're dependent on the environments. We're dependent on, you know, are there going to be floods or there going to be fires in California? You never know if a fire is going to come through and destroy your whole crop. Foods do not get subsidies, despite what people think. Like our food producers are not like raking in like hundreds of thousands in subsidies. A lot of subsidies actually go to crops that are used to feed livestock, exported or used for like biodiesel fuel. Like we don't have like a majority of stuff you've seen in the grocery store. There's no guaranteed stuff unless they specifically have been doing hedge funds and things like that. There's no guarantee for them. Like Janelle broke it down the best way. She's one of my friends and she said, you know, people think farmers are rich, but the bank owns pretty much everything. And that creates so much stress because you don't know after the whole growing season, you don't know how much that's going to sell for. You don't know if you're going to break even. You don't know what's going to happen. If a combine breaks, like just the cost of these equipment, the land, the taxation, that's completely out of your control. California has done a lot to increase taxes and self-tax and estate taxes that have made it very hard for farmers to pass it on to the next generation. And we're seeing a lot of people that are leaving. And the guilt and shame of being like, hey, 
I can't keep my fifth generation farm going or the fifth generation cattle going. That can be devastating to someone because you're not just taking away their income, like a regular nine to five job, you're taking away a family's legacy and, you know, even selling off that. So that can definitely contribute to the stress. And most of our farmers do live in very remote areas. So access to mental resources can be very difficult. And just culturally, there has not been a lot of openness when it comes to discussing mental health within the ag community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you put that very well. The I think another piece of that, um, the financial risk of it that you talked a little bit about, another piece of it is that for most of these things, we are so invested in them up front that by the time it's time to market the end product, if something has changed, there's not really anything you can do at that point. Like it's like you have what you have at that point and it sells for what it sells for. What are you supposed to do at that at that point in time after you've sunk that much into it? Exactly. And unless you're blessed enough to be able to do like a lot of people go like, why do people do hay and cattle? Because you need to be able to feed your cattle. But the problem is not everyone has that luxury of being able to do hay. So something we saw a lot of is hay prices shot up through the roof and beef prices went down. So now we're spending all this money to feed cattle and people had to make a really hard decisions between inflation prices for feeding their animals and also just with inflation in general with the cost of living expenses and then also the lack of water with water being shut off to a lot of farms in California and Arizona and some parts of Nevada. A lot of people had to sell their cattle early and they had to take them and have them become fat cattle early, which is just really, really difficult when now it's like you've worked to build up this operation. Now you have to downsize it or maybe you're forced to sell your cattle and the market's just not at a good point. So now you're trying to prevent future losses, but you're also taking a hit because you're selling them and the market's just not great. Yeah, absolutely. A question about how that works. We, we're in central um, Kansas. So we have a lot of those like large commodity crops, cattle, hay. Um, we don't have a lot of the fresh foods that you would see on the grocery shelves, like you mentioned, that are grown in California. Is post-harvest a big risk factor for those farmers since those typically have a shorter shelf life? The biggest problem with California, the biggest issue that we have there when it comes to produce and wine is wildfire. Wildfire, we never know. I mean, and the thing that's just so frustrating right now is the floods that we had. Even though the floods were smaller, they still cause catastrophic damage. And flood water is not, it's not happy lake water. It <laughs> is, this contains runoffs from sewage tanks. It contains animal feces and manure and stuff like that. It, it contains a lot of bacteria. It can make people very sick. So it's not something like, oh, we have the floodwaters. We can let, take them go and our produce is good. Like, no, there's a lot of health hazards now. So we can't just take and wash them off. So we are going to have some food shortages when it comes to produce, unfortunately, this year. But the other thing that we have too is when it comes to wildfires. So for example, wine, if there's a wildfire, even if the crops are not burnt, even if the grapes are not burnt, once those grapes are processed, they may not be good because smoke gets into the flavor of the grapes and it can get into the the earth. And so even though the crops might look fine, it can be so nerve wracking when you are pressing and barreling those grapes to see if they're, you know, you got to wait for them to process and see, are they even going to make decent wine? 
I mean, that's something we had in Salinas. There was a really big fire in Salinas and um, Carmel Valley in that. And there was a lot of fear from our vineyards, our winemakers. Are these even going to be profitable? And to have, if you look at how much that is, bringing it in, an entire year's lost crop is a lot of revenue for a winery to absorb. And not every place can, can deal with having the drought followed by wildfire. Yeah, definitely not. I mean, it only takes one bad situation for a lot of farms to go under because of just the high risks with their cash flow from year to year. But you can pile a couple of those circumstances on top of each other and it's it's gets pretty stressful pretty quickly. And it does. And, you know, you're in this place of being totally stressed out. And the thing is, it's not it's almost a constant stress because it seems like, okay, we've made it through this season. What is this season going to bring us? Like, for example, in Kansas, you have ice, you have cold weather, you have the deal, you know, freezing, you have, are you going to get enough hay during the wintertime? Because we had a lot of hay shortages. I know a lot of people are even having to import hay to feed their livestock out of state. So you have that and it's like, okay, great. Well, are we going to have another heat wave situation like we had last year, which a lot of people, conspiracy theorists jumped on? Well, fat cattle that are going to slaughter have their winter fur on. They have a thick extra layer of fat. They're being prepared to go and be slaughtered. So we're trying to fatten them up and make them as nutrient dense as we can. And if we get a heat wave that comes in, they're not in the same place as a cow that is leaner that has had time to acclimate to the heat. So that can, you know, there's just so many different facets of stress in this lifestyle that our farmers and ranchers are just in a constant state of stress. Yeah. And a lot of times what farmers and ranchers try to do to make things less stressful financially is diversify to kind of get additional cash flow. But that can also backfire and make it more stressful because then you're juggling more balls with not necessarily any more help or support. Exactly. And a lot of people don't know how to diversify correctly. You could diversify in totally the wrong place and take funds and put it towards something that you're going to need those funds to or just just be stressed out. There's, you can't have too many balls in the air at one time and be trying to figure stuff out. You need to have somewhat of a plan and resources. So that's kind of a lot of the situation of what's going on, why it's the way that it is now. What do we do about it? What do you think needs to happen for, I mean, obviously there's a lot that's just inherent in the nature of the work and the industry, but what do we have control over that we can make changes here? Well, unfortunately, I don't think our government is going to be much help. I think anyone that's in ag really understands that. They are the scapegoat anytime someone needs to lobby this or that. Our ag people tend to be the first people thrown under the bus. They also are unfairly taxed. So what we can do is we can really reach outside the community. Like I said before, the 2% cannot fight alone. What we need to do is we need to have more people in cities that didn't grow up in ag, people who are like the biggest city slickers in the world. We need to educate them and have them give a voice because that's the only way these unfair bills and uh, propositions and laws aren't going to pass if we have more people speaking up for our ranchers and our farmers and supporting them and realizing they're not the enemy and helping to give them more support so we can help kind of counterbalance the negative energy that's kind of thrown at them all the time on social media to have people be like, hey, I didn't know how much you loved your animals or hey, you're educating me on that. So we really need more people outside the community advocating, but we also need more people just saying, your job's stressful. 
I could not do it. I could never do what you do, but I support you. Or just even using, that's one reason why I started the campaign, the ag let's talk. Just using that hashtag ag let's talk on a story, on a post, just let someone know. So then you have some farmer or someone that's out there struggling that says, I'm not alone. And that's, you know, I have the t-shirts, I have the hashtag. It's mostly just to help raise awareness so people know they're not alone. And that helps bring the more of a dialogue. And I think we need to support them more. We need to have more of a encouraging dialogue. But we also, also, also need to do a better job of getting mental health resources to our ag community. And I do think telemedicine is going to be the way to do that. Because let's be honest, most farmers and ranchers on their day off are not going to want to drive an hour, three hours into town to go sit on some therapist's office and talk about their childhood. Right. And, you know, which is the stigma and the, the, um, misconception people think of what therapy is like. So if we have a farmer or rancher that can finish a hard day of work, pop into a room in their house and do kind of like what we're doing and do a telemedicine visit, I think that's going to be significantly more helpful. And we also just not only mental health resources, we need addiction resources too, because unfortunately with the rise in depression and anxiety, there is also a rise in self-medication when it comes to alcohol and substance abuse. And especially with the high presence that we have of the different narcotics and those types of prescription pain med abuse being done. So we need need both those mental resources there. And then we also need to have farmers have more resources for how to get help. So our farmers are feeling so overwhelmed, figuring out how to get support and grants and help from the government when they do go through things like floods or fires, because trying to get like FEMA and government support again, (laughs) it's really difficult to try and get any sort of help. So the more places we can have like Farm Aid, which is what we're donating some of the $5 from every t-shirt I sell from Ag Let's Talk to, Farm Aid really does help to provide resources to our farmers and our ranchers. Because when you go through crisis, you are so stressed out that even just the idea of knowing where to turn, if we can have more mental health resources, more substance abuse and more financial resources. So we're tackling all aspects of what is the stressors. I think that can be a good starting point, at least for helping. Absolutely. Those are definitely good things to invest in. I think a lot of the struggle that we feel as an ag community is that those all feel so reactionary. It's like, well, after it's already happened, then here's the resources we have for you. It's those conversations though that you talked about at the beginning there of trying to get people to connect on a deeper level to mediate the stress and find solutions to make the industry the job itself less stressful more sustainable for folks that really are going to make a difference and man everything goes slow when you talk about an industry that large and that dominated i guess by a very traditional mindset, but I think seeing some of those things come into play is what's really going to make a difference for hopefully our kids someday that take over those operations. It is. And I'm, you know, again, I'm just one person for the ag let's talk, but I'm hoping it takes off. I would absolutely love, love, love to see churches get involved. So churches could have maybe an ag let's talk support group for locals. Most of our rural community, they'll go to church. So I love to see more churches, more community centers, have kind of a round table for people that want to come in and talk about stress that they're going through with their community. If we can't do it that way, or maybe your community is not doing that, use the hashtag ag let's talk. Hopefully it will lead you to some other people with some good resources because an online community is great. Because again, if you're super remote, 
you might not be able to drive, you know, three hours to go meet someone. So having someone you can check in with online and say, I'm having a really tough day and they can be like me too. So my pastor that I had in Colorado, Flatirons Church, they started something called the Me Too movement. So you're going through depression, me too. You have, you know, someone's been divorced, me too. So it's a way of making people feel more included because rural living is so remote and so alone sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I um, was actually just recording a podcast interview with another um, person today and we were talking about how, you know, we could go weeks and weeks without seeing another person, another adult, especially if we if we chose to do that. It's like you can go a long yeah. time out here and, and if you don't intentionally get yourself involved in the community, it can be very isolating. But and that's one reason why I love the cowgirls over coffee is again it's that sense of community. And one thing I don't want to not touch on is ranch wives. Ranch wives also deal with a lot of anxiety, depression, postpartum depression, because they play a very active role on the farm and the ranch too. You know, a lot of them are doing homeschooling because they live too far away from kids. Like you're saying, they're not getting adult time. Moms that don't get adult time, sometimes it can be really, really mentally draining. And then they're trying to be that support system for their husband. And then they're also working on the ranch. So just helping to create more communities online taking away the stigma and helping us all connect, I think is just so, so, so important. Absolutely. If you own a business and have ever wondered if social media ads could work for you, but didn't know where to start, worried it would drain your marketing budget, or simply couldn't deal with Facebook's complicated meta business suite tools, then this might just be for you. I've been running social media advertisements for local and growing businesses and organizations for 10 years now. And always hate to hear when business owners have a negative experience with social media ads or boosted a post and felt like they wasted their money. So we are creating a way for you to take social media ads for a test drive for your business. This test is designed to see if social media ads can help grow your business, get quality leads, increase foot traffic, or increase sales for your business specifically. If you're curious, learn more on my website at LexiWrightConsulting.com backslash social and click on social media ads test drive. Test drive spots are available until June 2nd. And once they're gone, they're gone until we offer this service again. So I think having those conversations that bridge the gap either within the community or between the 2% and the rest of the world um, is I think that's a great place to start. And the using the hashtag ad let's talk is so admirable what you're putting together and orchestrating there. Um, what are some of the conversation starters that you think people can use to either connect within the community or connect from the 2% to the group that's maybe not connected to agriculture as much? I think one of the greatest ways to start a conversation, and you'll see this a lot on my account, is if you have a question, ask a farmer and ask a rancher. Most people, uh, Brooke with Dot Seven Bars, she's great. Like if you want to know more about ranching and how ranching is, she's very transparent on her Instagram account. She also sells beef directly. You can slide in and ask her a question. She shows how her, you know, how her cows live their happy little lives kind of look like one of those commercials that you see on TV in Clovis, California. And so that's one way I think to start the conversation is if you are the cheaper set, if you are a food producer, open up for positive dialogue. And I do want to put this as positive dialogue because something I do see that I feel like some of the people cause more stress in their life of our producers 
someone that's already committed to misunderstanding you, it's not going to be where you're going to have a positive dialogue. You're going to have a positive dialogue from people who are genuinely curious, that want to know more questions, that want to know what is this piece of equipment doing? Why are you pulling the cow out during caffeine? Why are you putting their head in this like vice machine when you're giving them vaccines? Explaining a lot of that stuff takes away the power from the people that are trying to use it uh, weaponized through misinformation, but just being open, but also be selective with your energy. If someone is attacking you and being negative, please block them. Please delete their comments. Do not engage because the time you're taking engaging with them, your mental health is going to take a toll too. Because if you're just looking at these trolls, if you are arguing with people who you are never going to convince, they are not even open to hearing about your side. They're just spewing venom at you. That's time you're taking away that you could be positively educating someone, spending time with their husband, going for a walk. Really be conservative when it comes to where your energy is going. That's great advice. I think that's good for any, a good lesson for anything and that you do in life. Be careful about where you spend your energy. I like that. Well, great. Well, um, I think that covers a lot of ground for us today. Um, do you want to tell everybody a little bit more about how they can follow up with you and get involved in the Ag Let's Talk campaign? Sure. You can follow me on Meg West on Instagram. That is my account. You'll see a lot of my Ag Let's Talk videos on there. But honestly, if you want to get involved with the campaign, you can do it pretty much two ways. Number one would be just use the hashtag Ag Let's Talk and talk about, you can talk about mental health struggles. You can talk about just sharing support. You can just like, if you have a crappy day farming, like by all means, just use that and be like, today was tough. I mean, you can even be um, some of the people that we sat t-shirts to, some of the influencers, they even opened up about their own struggles with depression and anxiety. You don't have to go through it to be an ally. So it doesn't matter if you're in the ad community or not, just use the hashtag to show support. You can repost any of my material and put hashtag ad let's talk. Because again, you're going to reach different people than I reach. And then we do have men's and women's t-shirts available through my friend's boutique, Rare Renegade Boutique. The link is on my Instagram. So we make it super easy. So you don't have to go searching for it. You just click on that. And even just wearing the t-shirt helps open up the conversation because you're, you're going to be wearing a t-shirt, walking around that says, Ag, let's talk. And someone might come up to you. So again, it's just awareness and starting the dialogue. Well, thank you so much for all the resources you are putting out there. I hope that the campaign just continues to grow and we start to see a lot more of it online. Thank you. Me too. That is my hopes as well. Do you know someone building their ag legacy or with stories of yesteryear on the farm that need to be shared? Please let us know or help them apply to be a guest on the show at farmingonpurpose.com slash guest. If you've enjoyed spending time with us today, please take a moment to review the show on Apple Podcasts or give us a share on social media. You can follow the host of Farming on Purpose, Lexi, at, at Farming on Purpose on all social media. And let us know what topics you want to hear more about.